So a little over 50 years ago, this guy writes an article for the New York Times magazine. His name is Milton Friedman. He's an economist, and the title of his essay goes like this. The social responsibility of business is to increase its profits. Now, it's a bit wordy and a little prosaic, not to mention a huge spoiler. It's like if George Lucas decided to toss out The Empire Strikes Back as a movie title and instead went with Darth Vader as Luke's dad. But I digress. The point is that everything you need to know about Friedman's article is right there in the title. The sole purpose of corporations, in his opinion, is to make money, and they are responsible to no one except shareholders. Now, people read this essay, and they lose their minds. It becomes a defining document, one of the single biggest influences on corporate culture in the past five decades, an era in which, well, I can't say it as well myself, so I might as well let him say it, Mr. Gordon Gecko. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Globalization, deregulation, corporate tax cuts, the decline of organized labor, stagnation of wages, the decline of the middle class, climate change, income equality, the death of Bambi's mom, all, critics say, the ostensible result of the Friedman Doctrine. And whether you agree with that or not, it's kind of hard to shake the feeling that for a long time, business has acted according to a different set of values than the rest of us. Well, times do change. Whether it's because of that aforementioned income equality, or climate change, or consumers knowing about these things and being angry about them, or maybe consumers are just sick of stories like Enron, or Lehman Brothers, or Wells Fargo, or Purdue, or maybe they're increasingly worried about the power of big tech. Whatever their cue for passion may be, a lot of business leaders are seeing these trends and having a road to Damascus moment one in which they're rethinking the Friedman Doctrine. Maybe, just maybe, it could be that living according to our values and acting in ways that benefit society or at the very least don't harm it is not just good for the world, but for business as well. Some business leaders who've been having this thought have also called my next guest, who, incidentally, happens to be my boss. His name is Kevin Burt, he's the CEO of Nexus, and we heard from him just last month on the subject of connecting people with purpose, which is not just our tagline, but also one of our core business functions right next to helping organizations define, declare, and then live by their values. We were going to share this interview a bit later in the year, but in light of the recent messy departure of what appears to be a Friedman disciple from the Oval Office, it sort of felt right to share it now. Kevin joins us once again at the Nexus. What does having values have to do with creating value for shareholders by making profits? When you look at organizations that have really strong values, they intrinsically build sustainable value. Organizations that don't sometimes may perform in the short term, but ultimately the time comes where those values are not sustainable or small numbers of actors within those corporations can uh, do bad things. And those bad things can strip billions of dollars of market cap, whether it's a rogue trader, salespeople who are engaging in aggressive sales practices, the values 
and their impact on organizational value is not just an upside story, it's also a downside story around risk. And organizations that are values driven are actually moving the needle in both of those two dimensions. So in other words, values are guardrails. Some might say they might inhibit the company, but you're saying they're protecting the company. They are, but they're also making a place, a desirable place to engage. They make organizations more trusted within their communities or with vendors or other stakeholders. Uh, Values-driven organizations at their core last longer and they perform better. Uh, you know, another cautionary tale would be Enron. Enron had values and they were, to a degree, posters on the wall. Enron's a great segue. Those exact values are integrity, respect, communication, and excellence. I think we can agree that they failed to live up to most, if not all, of them. And that's a clear example of people who said they had values but abandoned them when it was inconvenient for them to follow them. What's to prevent people from declaring those values and just throwing them in the trash afterwards? Well, one of the key connection points is the interconnection between an individual's personal values, the organization's espoused values, and then what they see in the middle, which is what's happening around them. You know, a financial services organization might have integrity as one of its values, but the norm that might exist within a team might not be in stride with that. And then you need to follow the breadcrumbs back as to why. Uh, and if you look at the top, is it being led? If you look at lateral around me, uh, are people calling things out and are they really holding the values up as the North Star for how people should behave? But then the, the third part is your personal values. And organizations who have individuals whose personal values do not align with the organization's values tend to find behavior gaps or mindset gaps within their teams. So would values help you identify those people that are already within the business and help them to align their values or help you select people coming into the business that align closer to your values? Is that part of the goal? All of the above. Values can and should become the magnetic force that attracts other like-minded individuals who share those values to join the organization. Uh, at the top, values can actually change over time, and in some cases, they're actually aspirational, Chris. So a value on innovation might get introduced to an organization that is going through a transformation. If that is just a word, and it's not backed up with design thinking and new capabilities, then that value of innovation can feel like it's not alive. Uh, but it still is a necessary and aspirational component and an area that that organization needs to double down on that particular value and bring it back to life. Suppose I am a healthy skeptic, or conversely, an old-school Robert Barron type who's thinking, well, I haven't had to declare my values publicly before. Why do I have to do it now? What has changed in the last little while? We're in a landscape where, uh, candidly, politics has begun to become questioned. And the rise of organizations looking to corporate leaders, who in many cases are key influencers in their communities, to really stand for something 
and to make an additive contribution to their workforces, to their clients, but also to society at large. It's also, it's a yardstick that the investor community is now using to decide where to place their bets. And they're doing that because they inherently view this as having lower risk and higher upside. You've probably heard of this little company. I'm not sure, maybe you've heard of it. It's called Google. <laughs> I know where you're going already, which is don't be evil. I think it could be said that while maybe Google hasn't been evil, some of their actions have not necessarily been moral or ethical. And there's probably a case to be made for saying that they've been exploitative. And to add to that, when they tried to pull Don't Be Evil out of some of their messaging, they got as much backlash as they did when people started to realize how hollow it was. What can companies do to avoid that kind of mishigas? Well, I think the first part is authenticity. Values need to be practiced. Uh, that's a bottom-up, top-down, and horizontal responsibility. Organizations that have that alive and well and are having challenging conversations about the tension points that exist within their values, then what you can find is, at the end, an on-values decision being made, which may involve trade-offs, but it's certainly going to be a lot closer to the middle. And it also won't be a surprise to people in terms of what the outcome of that decision is as opposed to saying it and not doing it, or uh, saying it and even worse, doing the opposite. You know, it feels like we're coming down to a really crucial uh, tension, which is the tension between living according to a certain set of values and material self-interest, between doing what's right and making money. How do you avoid that tension? How do you resolve it? What can leaders and companies be doing to sidestep it? Well they always will come into conflict, right? We're, we're in a capitalist and I would say largely transactional uh, society. So when we're looking at the idea of adding value through values, the idea of tension will never go away. And I'll just give you a sample one. So customer first. You might actually put that as a value, but as a bank, if I'm in a lending decision, I might actually live the value of customer first by not just declining lending them money when it might actually not be sustainable for them or for the organization, but part two, which is the build, helping that client navigate to a place where they are able to achieve that loan then becomes the and. So I'd say that it's an and or a navigating decision in other cases, like don't be evil, you might actually need to make some pretty tough decisions to take a pass on some money and on some business because it's at right angles to what you stand for and it's actually gonna do you internal harm with your employee engagement, but it's also gonna do external reputational harm at some point down the line. What can companies and leaders do to help their people navigate that tension? It's not just purely about the why and the what of a value, but it's also about the how. So if I'm in a manufacturing setting and I have two values that exist in tension, and I'll just make two up, driven to perform and safety first. Well, 
We're actually talking out of both sides of our mouths because we're saying performance first and safety first. Those two ideas can rub up against each other and, and we have to talk about that. You know, people are tribes, so helping those tribes talk about how they're actually functioning together to live the values um, would be the critical part. I like the way you use the word tribes. I think that's important to emphasize. It feels like shared values what binds people together and helps motivate them in a single direction. Are you surprised sometimes that companies don't embrace this? Well, this is not new, right? Uh, tribalism and one of the other most successful organizations in the world, religion, really build routines, rituals, shared narratives, shared understanding around the guardrails, lots of active conversation about values and values intention. And, and there would be three connection points here. One, which would be purpose, why we exist. Two would be strategy, how we're going to get there. And then three would be values, how we all show up. You actually need all three working in concert if you don't have that foundation or you're only placing your bets on one or two of those, you're not going to have everyone rowing in the same direction at the same pace and cadence. Uh, that's a good point. You, you know, anytime someone tries to introduce a values culture, they're probably going to face some kind of roadblocks. They're probably inevitable. What are those roadblocks and what can you do to clear a path to make sure that values takes root? If we don't give context, for why we're either introducing new values or introducing values for the first time. That context part in terms of where we're coming from, where we want to go, and how we're going to get there, which then sets up how do we all need to show up and what ideals do we need to share in the pursuit of this journey. If you don't have that context part dialed in and really right, you're gonna be missing the why. And if you don't have the why, then the how won't really matter much. I could talk about values with you all day. And in fact, that's what I do for a living. So I don't want to invite anyone else to work. I'll just say thank you for making the time. Thank you, Chris. Now, if you think it's time to re-express your organization's values or come up with new ones, then let Nexus help. We've been doing this kind of work for over two decades now, and we've gotten pretty good at it. You can find us at nexuscommunications.com. That's N-E-X-U-S communications.com. The Nexus is produced by Alexa Paveo. Jeff Littlejohn is our editor and sound designer. And if you enjoy this episode, please show your enthusiasm by telling your friends and also liking us and commenting on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to feed your podcast, Jones. I'm Chris Nelson. Thanks for listening.